Grace doesn't like that part of the intro and wishes I would do something different. But I honestly don't know how else to... It just comes out of I me, know, Grace. I know, but it's so intimidating being on this end of it. Because there's hands flailing and there's a whole body movement. She, like, gets it from deep within her soul. <laughs> but I, I don't know how else to do it. We're just going to keep doing it. All right, we are back. It And guys, it has been a journey. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What are we? We're like over a year. Just about a year, yeah. yeah. Uh, which we didn't necessarily intend to do, but I'm glad we did it because I feel a lot more clear about why we... It's been a good journey. ...doing the podcast, yeah. So I have to say that we were so proud of the um, last episodes that we had ending season four, but we really were coming to a point where like we're really happy with what we're creating. We're just feeling like we're not explaining it very well of why we're doing the podcast and what the podcast truly is. So we've we've gone on a um, I would say like a, a, a identity. We sort of had an identity crisis. We did have an identity and now crisis, and we tried to solve it with our creative strat brains from the ad world, and all that did was make us hate it. I know, it made us just put, like, presentations together for no one. No, we were sending each other presentations. Anyway, so what we have come to uh, feel very comfortable about around why we're doing the podcast is that actually the way that we see love and um, people's love lives is not when they met their partner or the first time they had sex or when they got married and it was the happiest day of their life. It's That's all a part of it. But actually the way that we see someone's love life is probably a few months before they're born to after they pass away, that their whole life is actually their love life and everything that happens in between. And that's why we can have people come on and talk to us about their experience with abortion or raising a child on their own or why they're a process of writing down their personal experiences because Mm -hmm. we know all of that actually is a part of their love life and their story of love and that they learn from all these different experiences that that we want to hear about and that at the end of the day it's because the more that we learn about love and how we love and the things that have happened in our lives to affect the way that we love or receive love the more we understand that the actual better lovers uh, we can be to ourselves, to our, you know, relationships we have, to our community, to everything. Our, yeah. yeah, and that's what we're. That's why we do this, and why we love to do it. So, um, did I say that right? I think you said it right. I mean, for us, it's been that's the conversation you and I have had. Yes, many a times. But we've never really had that conversation outside of us and with the people that are listening, and and with the people that come on to share their stories. And so that's where it's kind of felt disjointed up until now. But I think just getting that out there and kind of setting up the expectations as to why we're on this journey and what it is we're looking for, which is every element of everybody's lives and how they all come into play into this idea of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're feeling very good about that. And that's how... Um, so nothing's actually really changing Change. because of it. we just feel more clear about why we're why we're doing it. So to introduce our 40th 
episode guest. Woo! <laughs> We're having a party at our 50th episode. It's just taking us <laughs> five years to get there. We really thought we'd get there a couple of years ago. Yeah, but hey, no one rushes us. Nope. Uh, so it's Yudon Israel. He's an amazing writer, a professor. He started Literary Swag, which is kind of making reading cool again. He's a bit like a man around town of Brooklyn. I met him because he was my professor for a creative writing personal essay class. And um, you will hear it, but he's he's kind of magical. Um, so we really hope you enjoy it. I think the core things that just to keep in mind that we do talk about, about a book Um, literally it's called the book about love Uh, and I think that's all you kind of need to know right yeah I think um, we talked about maybe referencing his article oh yeah he's um, featured in the New York Times Um, they do a little um, write-up about him so if you're intrigued that might um, give you a bit more context and then if you google him uh, there's many of his writings available online which I highly recommend because you'll really be able to connect all the dots together uh, so yeah, so there's um, just to give the context because uh, this was recorded about a year ago, and I just finished his writing class. So sometimes we get a little bit um, heady around what mm-hmm. I learned in that class, which was which was amazing stuff. So um, we intended that this would go live two months after we recorded it, but because Grace and I had to go on an emotional journey <laughs> to get here, it's uh, it's been about a year. So we're very, very happy and proud to yeah. finally put this out in the world. So, and thank you to Nancy and Jimmy um, for helping us constantly put this um, podcast together and enjoy. Loving called a book about love um, that's gone through the ringer Um, but it talks about this um, guy in the 16th century uh, Montaigne Montaigne oh yeah the guy wrote essays yeah Yeah. and he sort of talked about like the he fell in love with a man they were together for a while and he was the man was older and he passed away Mm. and this guy who wrote this book Jonah sort of said that um he wrote a lot about that the memory of that relationship right. in these essays and that he believes it was like the start of the personal essay. Oh yeah, he he is credited with that. That's like the He's the, the guy. He's, yeah, he's, he's like, the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. But what I loved about it that it was born out of a a relation like it had developed from a love, a relationship, an understanding mm. of kind of the relationship and stuff like that. So I kind of then I was thinking about you. And but and your and that your personal essays is well I'm always going to think it's your thing because that's what I, the, that you are my prof- you know professor for that. Um, so what if we go back to like the journey of you becoming a writer? Uh-huh. Do you do you see sort of like a correlation or a pattern to sort of relationships or uh, love to lead you towards like personal essays or not necessarily? Like love in what sense? Like a love for the form or like love? No, relationships. Like what oh, was no. happening in your... Oh, absolutely not. But not necessarily like girl, boy, romantic, but more relationships with people. No. No. I can definitely say that wasn't... It was trying to understand 
things. Like I, I would say I approached it I approached essays from more of an existentialist standpoint. Yeah. So like my relationship to the world and um just really trying to understand uh like the terms for which I was set to live versus the ones I was trying to create for myself. So it wasn't really relationships. Like that was what like I was articulate like what I ended up articulating more and more about existing was my relationships with other people but my relationship w- with other people wasn't wasn't what I was immediately trying to figure, figure out. out yeah yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that makes a lot of so, sense so yeah that wasn't I was I'm even now like it, it really is like I think that the reason why they're personal essays because they're about your relationship with yourself and I, I don't think what I can say is that so much of my understanding of myself was uh internalized through externalized factors being like the way my mother thought of me the way the world thought of me like not being quote-unquote a statistic of like so it was those things I was more trying what led me into writing was resisting narratives that had already been sort of written for me and I was trying to write against them yeah so you're I've been reading up on you okay that's that's, that's good that's that's a good thing to do um so your relationship with your mum right is comes feels like it comes through quite often yeah in your writing yeah um and especially like oh god did i go down a path of um when you wrote about lemonade and then mm-hmm. um this there was a quote that she'd said at this maybe was it at the start of lemonade about listening mm-hmm. you're not listening to me or something around that um and you wait, who was that? Was this my sister-in-law? No, no, Beyonce. Okay. In Lemonade, there yeah. was some reference of "listen to me" or "you're not listening to me." Or, right. It's about time you listen to me. Something right. in that sense. Right. Um, and then you sort of uh, went and spoke about how you struggled to listen to women, and I'm not sure if that's yeah. still a part, uh, still a thing. Or oh, not. that's a, that's going. That's a lifelong thing. That's, yeah. that's never going to be. So where did, do you know where that's why that kind of started or where? What do you mean? the one recognizing that you struggled to listen to let's say like your mom Mm -hmm. why did I struggle to listen to my mother um I think it was because I didn't know how to hear her I didn't know listening to somebody requires you knowing how to hear them not like hearing what you think they're saying but hearing what they're actually saying um and what I'm about to say is saying this without this is I'm not saying this to make this the fault of her, but saying this in the sense that like I don't necessarily think that she always knew what she was saying, and that's not like get trying to gaslight a message. It's it's like the more I'm listening to people, the more I've listened to people, and so much of what I've understood about early relationships, the thing I learned in later ones is that a lot of times people tend to already believe that they're not being listened to, so. Um, in that sense, what I realized with my mother in a lot of the earlier parts of her life, she wasn't actually articulating herself. She had, she was communicating what she knew could be understood by somebody else. But that assumption requires me to know that that's what she's talking on behalf of. And if I and I mean not understanding those sort of nuances to the speech, I was like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I don't get it. Like. And there's like, so there's different levels of listening, right? There's the listening of the mother to son relationship, the parent to child relationship where you're telling me to do something and I decide to do it and not do it. Yeah. That's not necessarily like a gendered thing. Um, 
then there's the more like I would say the more there's then there's a second layer of a woman to a to a young man who's being talked to, but then there's the more intimate one of like who my mother is as a person who she grew up to be versus like who I'm growing up and coming into myself as, and you know I think that relationship like that's I learned to listen more in that regard like I'm not talking about me as a child like not listening Listening. yeah because like there's every every child growing up under parents is going to be guilty of not listening to their parents yeah but trying to hear what they're trying to get to and like learn like hearing them insofar as hearing I think they like sort of the anxieties and the ambitions and the, the hopes that are often what set the rules and the foundation of your child like the way in which you're being raised into motion like i didn't i didn't know what was motivating a lot a lot of what she was telling me um yeah and for me i was thinking about the listening part and how you and how um as you learned right was really the backbone i guess is it like sort of like reading between the lines right it was it was it was always that that was reading between the lines was always something that was being done simply because once again like i just like growing getting older like things were never asked for as bluntly as they like i said you asked for one thing but you really wanted this other thing but um what i've come to understand in my own personal life is when you're afraid that you ultimately may not get this thing you really want you sort of articulate it in this sort of diminished way Like, so if you want $10, but you don't think you're, you're going to get 10 you ask for 5 And then when you get the 5 you kind of, well, I really should have gotten 10 but it's like you only ask for what you ask for. So it took me a while to realize that what was always being asked for, and there was a difference between what was being asked of me and what was being expected. And because my mother had this saying, she used to say, like, obedience is always better than sacrifice. And it was her way of, like, she would, it's like a Bible verse. Yeah. Or, and it was like she would tell me to do something like she would tell me like oh i want you to take the chicken out and then i would like cook it because it was like well i know she's tired and all these things and i would mess the chicken up of course um because i didn't know how to cook back then and she would just tell me like obedience is better than sacrificing like just do what i ask you to do um and so in those ways you can say like that was like a way of not listening but it was also, and I'm not like defending my not listening. It was also when you sort of see that like what someone's going through, I think it's a lot larger than their capacity to articulate it. You try, I tried in my own little ways to help. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's that. A lot of this stuff gets gendered, like like a man's necessity to try to save a woman, and and there's 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 a part of it that's that. But I think it's I think that part of not listening. I think comes from for me like my not listening comes from this and and sort of like just I think deep want need deep deep want to help people and not necessarily because sometimes what happens when I see people who are I deem like needing of help you know what that feeling of helplessness feels like and but a lot of times that's a projection because that could just be my own internalized feelings right. of like that's I know how I would feel in that position so I'm trying to get myself out of it and so in that ways I'm not listening to the person right so that's where you'll be is, is better than sacrifice so I, um that's what made it hard to listen to people because it was just like I was always sort of like thinking about I was like I think doing like over empathizing 
if yeah. that's a such thing. No, I think it, uh, my mum used to get quite upset with me about yeah. it as well because it, it was, um, she got, I sort of would try to be so strong with what's going on right. in what I'm seeing. And, right. and so then she didn't have to deal with, right. with me anymore where really she was like, can you just be sad as well? And can we just sort of yeah. like move on where I felt like I just wanted to help her. Right. So I did, I thought sort of, I was right. Like, yet if I just sort of, I don't know, had, I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought I was being very empathetic to her needs right. and yet that was just causing sort of The thing, problem. I will also say though, like, I think in fairness to myself, uh, I, um, and I think this is something to do with parenting. I think that in the same regard, like I, I don't, I think my, my mother underestimated how much I actually knew. Right. Versus what she thought I had access to. Yeah. So it's like that I grew up, and you probably grew up under the same, like, sort of contention that, like, a child is to be seen, not heard, um, sort of stay in a child's place. So when I was, my mother would talk about what she's, what's going on in her life, whether it be on the phone and those things, and I would hear this stuff, and it's like, there's no way I'm going to hear this and then, like, act like nothing is wrong. Yeah. Or see these private moments that you don't think I'm seeing and, like, sort of listen because it's like so there's this thing where listening becomes splintered right it becomes this thing where you're just like there's the direct thing you're supposed to listen to which is your parent but there's this private listening that you're doing mm -hmm. that sometimes parents aren't necessarily aware of that like oh no i actually know what you really want and so it's like what happens also for me as a child growing up is that i didn't get listened to right. um in the sense of like i knew a lot more than I was given credit for because I was a kid. And so I think there's a there's a way in which my not being listened to caused like a sort of lashing out of like, I'm just not gonna listen to you. Right. I'm just gonna like start ignoring you. Yeah, you're not listening to Cause me. Cause you're not listening to me. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I'm, and basically what it was is like, I see a lot of what's going on and at least I feel I can help. And the fact that like my solutions aren't even going to be considered in this and even though I'm directly affected by what's affecting you because it's also like parents do the same thing of like thinking oh like I can brave this for the both of us and it's like you have no idea how I'm internalizing the situation that you think you've protected me from it's mm -hmm. like no I still see and I'm experiencing these things in my own way and we can't have that conversation and then there was like not that many opportunities to have those conversations openly so it was just like all right so I'm not going to listen to you. So it's just like you just, like, I just kind of, in a sense, turned my ears off. Like, I listened to when I wanted to. Yeah. Do you have, a, like, a specific time that's coming to mind when you're talking about this? Uh, no, I think, like, so I had this spree where I was just stealing. Like, I would just take people's games and stuff like that. And my mother was, like, I was taking her through it with the, like, I just used to, and I used to lie a lot, like, pathologically, just lie, like, just make up lies on the spot. And it, and... The thing I would say that what lying taught me, it taught me how to get people to listen. Yeah. Um, and what it taught me was that like people hear what they want to. But when I told people the truth, they didn't want to hear that. But when I told people what like so like I would go to my mother one day and I'm like, oh mom, I would, what did I tell her? Like at the end of sixth grade, I told her I was going to the like the smartest class in the seventh grade. And I knew that's because that's the stuff that she already knew to be true and what she wanted to believe about me. So these are things that she would retain. But then there were things that I felt that were important to me that like kind of got forgotten about. And I kind of just didn't like those fear, that feeling of just like once again being ignored, not being seen, 
not being heard. So I would just tell people what they wanted to hear. And in that way, I was always being listened to. Up until, of course, the inevitable thing of what happens with lies is when they get exposed as lies. Yeah. Then you're not being lied to. I mean, you're not being listened to. But then, even in that sense, there was still a relief because it was like, well, yeah, I lied to you. So, like, even if you decide to ignore me, you're not really ignoring not me. me. You're yeah. ignoring, like, a projection a of thing yourself. that I put out there. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, and it's a projection of you. Like, that's what lying taught me. It taught, like, lying taught me the truth about other people. Oh, it taught me what to, what to like what people believe already. Yeah, I am. Um, I've been catching myself doing white lies, and okay. I say white. What's a what's a white? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I was raised that a white lie was like it's not necessarily going to harm anyone, mm. um, but it like harms me when I do it. Uh, but like say at work the other day, a uh, someone came up to me and said something about work was like, I'm not sure that this makes any sense. Right. So can you go see whoever did it and try and make sense of it? Cause right. I was the one that's going to have to present it. Right. But I took it way out of what I was like, it's not good. So I started to try and like rework it. And he came back and he's like, hang on. All I wanted you to do was just go see the person. that yeah, 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 yeah. Said. He goes, did you do that? And I went, yes, but they're in a meeting and they weren't, I never went there. <laughs> like I didn't, you know, so it was like this, I don't want you to judge me. Right. I don't, you know, I'm going to tell you something that ultimately is going to make me seem less right. smart or intelligent so, or anything. So what, so what for you even puts you in that position where you feel like you need to tell a, like, in that particular position, like when, what, 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 what sets that into motion? Well, I would say it's because I've already decided I'm not smart enough for this job. Mm. I'm not good at, I'm I'm sort of like the the phony of mm. it, so they're gonna they're gonna see that. So right. like in some ways, like the bigger truth is gonna come out. Right. Um, but if I if I quickly jagger away from it, right. then maybe I've got a bit more time to get better. So like I can live up to the mm. the position of that. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you know the 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 the, the sort of notion of telling lies to protect other people. I've I feel like lies just come from a way more. Mm, I feel like there's an extent. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a. I feel like there, there there's there's like there's a modicum of truth to that, but I even think that's a lie. Like I feel like at least when I know when I lie, it's really to protect myself. Yeah. And it's really to like postpone a confrontation. That I don't want to have. Yeah. And it's really with myself. Like I got to come into terms with something I'm not yet necessarily wanting to come in terms with. And so like writing is for me that ability to come in terms and come to terms once again like come to terms with those definitions that because like work like everyone like you're born i'm born like everyone's born into a world that's already determined for them like you're already you're poor before you even learn what that means to have money right. you're like you're white or you're black before you even know what skin color means you're a boy you're a girl before you even know what you like you you just have all these things assigned to you and if they don't feel true to you like like no wonder like there's a lot of people who feel like imposters because it's like before i even got to learn who i was i was already already told yeah everything was determined for me um and so if i do something that feels natural to me i'm being told how i'm going against this whole oh you're going against your birthright and it's like well i don't necessarily know if that is something i wanted um well that's what i find fascinating so much about as i learn about relationships and how we love and i've been going in this deep hole around the like attachment theory mm -hmm. of like how you were raised and and just how much i want to say the word power but i don't know if it's correct mm -hmm. influence maybe our parents have on the rest of uh, of 
how we have relationships in the future mm-hmm. um, and like the way that we were raised and the way that we were loved and the relationships we saw in front of us and if we spe- felt special or if we felt this or sort of can proposedly um, uh, be the founding of then how we have relationships later and how we mm-hmm. become a lover as well as a parent and da 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 I don't know it's such a big part of then our whole future is based on you know your dad and right. your mum right like he left when you were around 10 around 10, 10. Yeah, he left when I was 10 yeah do you did you see like a nice was there a point where that was a nice relationship yeah like I mean you know like you know, I think in a lot of ways I was vindicated from a lot of the uh, fairy tale slash what does vindicated mean vindicated like freed Oh. Like liberated, like let loose, like let like, so like not hint like this idea that people were like in like not independent agents of whatever they were, right? Because I never understood my parents as my parents. They were always like my mother, my mother, my father. Like I always understood them. We, even uh, when they were together, they were separate. Unit. They I was yeah. Even when they were together, it's like they were just two different people. So I always understood that a relationship was not something that people kind of like lost each other. They lost themselves into like the way our like media and love stories would try to portray like you become this synch- mm. like this synchronous one and you're inseparable. It's like, no, this is there's two people who choose to be together. And that's what I saw. Um, and one of the reasons why my, I believe my father left is because it got to a place where um like he just didn't want like he didn't want to be with her anymore and like also he as a person as a human being he has every right to like decide not to want to be in a relationship he doesn't want to be anymore and by the time he left i was actually good i was happy that they left i mean they they that they split split yeah because the sort of notion of staying together for the children is like i think that that's selfish because it's also like i wasn't no one's consulting the seldom is the child consulted in that <laughs> decision to stay together for the child but i think once again that's that's to me i feel like that's a lot of parents tell themselves to not do the thing that they know that's ultimately right for everyone which is healthier and that image like you want to portray the image of a togetherness of a wholeness as opposed to like what the world and what people are is fragmented and fractured and there's a way in which fragments and fractures doesn't always to me insinuate this sort of brokenness Mm-hmm. I think it actually allows for it creates an opportunity for people to sooner find what is supposed to complement, which is not to say, like I said, it's not to absorb and lose yourself into somebody else. It's to just find someone who complements you better. I had never seen. I think my parents did their best to work well together, but I don't. I didn't naturally see my parents complementing one another. Yeah. Like they were, they were too much of the same type of person. I mean, they were strong willed they were and it's not saying that someone has to be submissive someone has to be it's it's none of those things that like none of the gender things that like dominate conversations it was like they were just two rams and it wasn't a like if rams don't see each other and go let's talk about this they they line up and they keep headbutt till somebody goes down and when you have that type of relationship and you're getting older and then there's kids involved that that type of thing that happens between two people it begins to like it becomes dangerous like just very honestly because i'm yeah. somebody who doesn't back down 
from somebody, no matter how big they are, whatever. My father's somebody who takes that as a challenge to exert his force. And so, like, it created a lot of situations that, like, now that I understand it for what it was, it was like, oh, that was never going to work out. And I think that that child part of me that would, like, oh, I just want my parents together, like, that, that, that wasn't, that left a long time ago because it's like, who would that be for? Yeah. Like, that would be for everybody else besides who's actually dealing with the realism of what this relationship is about, which is, like, they don't belong together. So, um, for me, like, there were happy moments all the time. Like, my, my father told jokes. My, like, my mother, like, would make jokes sometimes. And, and it was, like, there's, there's a lot of happy moments. But the one thing I do lament was that I don't think they had equally the language to understand that them not being together meant that the that he could not be involved and i don't know if he took that as like a sum total a sum a zero sum game where it's like i'm either have to be all in as a father and a husband or i'm just going to be completely divorced and that was i think for me a long time of like in my relationships personally professionally is like all right let's say for example me and you particularly don't like each other to some like in a professional like in a like in a personal capacity but we work together that doesn't mean that i'm not going to sabotage your work life but growing up because i had not seen another model of like what does it look like for people to not necessarily be aligned in every way but still work towards something it was like oh me and this person had a problem we not friends we can't do anything at all together yeah. and so in those ways it was like that wasn't healthy because then it because what the brain does my brain does uh it 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 moves two steps quicker than that one move of saying you're not going to create that situation for yourself what i started doing was cutting myself off from opportunities for that first thing that happened so instead of like making friends and then or making acquaintances and then having to learn the hard like the lessons of life which is like oh you're not going to agree and what do you do you just sort of create a really small circle with, yeah, with safe circle. yeah with people like who you can sort of still be who you understand yourself to be which is like i cut you off if i feel like i'm not gonna talk to you and then we just start talking up again like nothing happened and no one's gonna say anything about it those were like my relationships for a long time but there was no real like reckoning in a lot of our my relationships like i stole my friend's game boy helped him look for it and like we never actually had the conversation like to this day like we never had that conversation about like like why that had like why i did it or whatever and like i have to have that conversation at, at some point but it's like it's just those type of infractions that happen that like you know you understand that this person is very important to you and the fact they forgave you for something that's like really fucked up excuse my yeah. language but at the same time not actually talking about it yeah right which is not the same thing so like someone accepting a, a slight is not the same as you like reconciling and actually working through like what what actually happened at that point yeah right, i have two questions but they're gonna like veer in okay. completely different directions okay okay but i want to come back to the um the idea of having that safe circle and not mm -hmm. not having the conversation to like move forward but first off, like, I think, so when your, when your dad, when they divorced or separated, yeah. you, your dad left, he wasn't still, like, half in? No, nah, he was completely, he was like, I hadn't seen him for, like, the, I didn't see him. The next time I seen him, he's, like, brain dead in a hospital. So that's 14 years later. So I hadn't seen him. And no contact? Nah. No. Just gone? No. Nah. Nah, Do you yeah. remember that day when he left? Yeah, it was, I was relieved. 
Like, right, okay. So I woke up and But you I wouldn't have known he was gonna like you wouldn't necessarily have known that was I the just, last at time. The, at that point I, like I like like and this is like because this is and this is why I write right because there's these larger narratives that you should be a lot more you should be impacted a lot more because that's your father and right a, a okay. child needs yeah. his father and how could you not feel and it's like no honestly by the time he had left it was like good because mm-hmm. he wasn't even happy right so it's like this is who like who is this for like yeah and that's one of the reasons why I write is to claim those that story. That like no like regardless of this larger narrative of what happens and that's why like even to an extent like I kind of I didn't lament the reality of my situation I lamented the interpretation by other people so if I said as a black kid growing up in Bed Stuy which is a historically in a lot of ways understood as a dangerous and poor neighborhood once I say my father left at ten it's like oh yes yeah, see another, another wayward black right. boy who doesn't have a father. and it's just like bro like yeah, yeah like that's just not the that's not yeah. the story the story is not that simple. But also, like, so for me, when my mum and dad broke up, I remember the day. I remember, like, he got in the car right. and drove off and my sister ran up, like, the driveway. Right. And I, I, I mean, I remember being like, yep. <laughs> I mean, like, this is, this needed to happen. Right. I was six years old. Like, right. I'm like, yeah, no, I got Yeah. But I, I... I don't think I ever thought that I wasn't ever going to see him again. It was right. more like... So you saw your father after six? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, we ended up doing week, 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 week. So okay. we took our suitcase and went... Yeah. But I was always, I think, more to the linking it to what society had would have said is that I was always so grateful my dad stayed around. Right. Like, that to me was like, oh, he's a good man. He stayed around. Yeah. But in... But in reality, when I talk to him about it, he's like, yes, I was, you were my kids. I wasn't going... Like, just because right. we didn't end up... Right. You know, but I but I had that sort of idea of what society had at that time of, right. like, the dad can bolt if he wants to because the mum ultimately is, like, the carer of the family and right. he's got a way out if he wants it. Well, I had also had the benefit of living with my father um, at one point when they were separated. Um because he would, excuse me, have these episodic, they would have their falling outs, which is like when you think about a real relationship, when you're dating somebody and you like don't see them for like five months because y'all are like figuring, each, y'all figuring your own things out and y'all come back. Yeah. And when you're a child, you don't have a concept of time because you don't control time. Time controls you. Like you go to bed when your parents say go to go bed, bed, you yeah. wake up. So it's like everything just feels arbitrary. I also had no difference. To me, there was no difference of divorce and a breakup yeah. or time yeah. or time out. And none of, I right. was like, you're not together. Yeah, That's yeah, all I yeah. Need. It's either you're together or you're not. And so, like, over the course of the 10 years that I had been around, there was a particular point where, like, my mother, like, I think mother being the external, like, the primary caregiver, that person's, atten- that person's patience is just naturally thinner. And because of that, she was just more strict. And I was just like, oh, this is whack. I want to go live with my father. And yeah. she said, oh, you want to go live with your father? And they, we were, they weren't living. And I went to go live with him. And, like, it was, it's like all those type of things where you get to live with somebody who's fun. And you're like, oh, I get to, we get to go to, the, like, the arcade. And we just doing whatever we want. I get to wake up when I want to. I get to eat what I want. And mm-hmm. all, there's, like, just no. And then I got to a place where I was like, oh, no, this is terrible. Like, there's just things not being done because he's just conducting himself however like and so it was also like even before he left once again it was like ah, nah he yeah. wouldn't have been the guy anyway like I, of the two parents I, she was the one to be and once again like 
when you have these larger narratives of it being gender, like, well, of course the mother is. It's like, no, it was like she just had disposition and she made, not even just the disposition because I think that sounds gendered. Um, like, it's like biologically determined at that, but she also made a decision to be a mother mm-hmm. and that she was going to commit herself to that decision. My father, I think, like people who tell themselves stories in the, like, Joan Diddy way in order to live, he had, in a lot of ways, liked the idea of being a father like he liked the way it made him feel to know he had kids in the world that took after him that he had created he liked the feeling of because i would watch him when he told people i was his son and he had daughters like he liked that but the real Mm day-to-day trudging along with what it meant that he was not too concerned with and even at a young age right and this is what i speak to like Maybe I would have been able to come to this language sooner if I was able to articulate what I saw of situations. But being a child, you don't get to do that. No. So it just stays sort of packed back and like in the back of your mind. And then as a self-defense mechanism, you just bury it so you don't have to keep... Because the more you think about it, the more you want to talk about it with people. And then you realize sometimes you're not in a position to be listened to. Right. And so, like I said, once again, writing becomes like... In, in writing, I don't have to worry about like a response. Like when I write something, there's no paper. Somebody shooting up through the paper. That's that didn't happen, or this yeah. not true, or that's what you, it's like. No, I get to just say it the way I need to say it, the way I understand it. So when when does that come in? When do you start writing? There's like several answers to that question. There's like um, writing in that sense, in like the sense of confronting and being able to speak right. the, my truth. That comes in honestly. I guess it's like bringing you because you use the gesture of like. Uh, yeah, you pushing it back pushing and then like yeah, it memories. was it was it was it was really when I was in junior not junior high school, I'm college, and I wrote my senior thesis because even when I I was like going to Pace University for my undergrad, like. What were you studying there? Uh, English. Oh, so you, yeah, there was always a love for that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, nope. yeah, it was like I've always described writing as the the thing that came e- the hardest thing to do that came easiest to me. Like, writing was the easier thing than anything I ever done. Like, it came easier than anything I had to do because it was opposite just to it me. was just something that I could do, but it was hard because what I was what I wanted to do with it was not something that came easy. So, like the the task of writing, mm-hmm. I can write because I'm very like adept with language in a lot of ways writing to get the truth out that's the hard part mm-hmm. so it's like yeah if you ask me to like give you copy about this campaign I, that's 15 minutes I could give you like a snazzy little like catch real oh my god that did, did you spend a weekend no I didn't take the weekend thing about that that's easy but when I'm if it's something like this and I gotta like write a whole essay where I'm sustaining the momentum of my own thoughts to propel myself deeper into myself to get to the truth of something I probably like long forgot about a trauma had blocked out. That's hard. Yeah. Like that's like that's the hard part. So like writing as a as its own thing is not hard for me. Writing t- so that something real comes out. That is what. That's the that's the skill. Yeah. It's, it's like if, like, you ask somebody you know I don't know like you know, people who play basketball or whatever is one thing, but like playing it the day after your father dies or something like. That's like because you have to be in a different place to commit yourself to an act that kind of is like that has a real stake to it, right? And that's really what 
the difficulty of writing was. So the long yeah. way around that, but the sh- like the short, truncated, quick answer is that when I came into Pace University, I was studying philosophy, not philosophy, psychology, because I just wanted to help people. And I was really fascinated with, once again, the way the mind worked, like the way the mind decided what it, what it mm-hmm. wanted to account for and what it wanted to like leave out and all those things. And I was just like, I wonder... Like, look at studying these patterns, could I then begin to understand people in a way where I could divorce myself from internalizing things that probably did not have anything to do with me? So, like, you see somebody, you're going somewhere, and you're like, hey, how you doing? Like, the fuck out my face. And you're like, whoa. Like, and, you, and I've internalized so many situations that when I look back, I'm like, oh, that wasn't even personal. And there were so many moments where those things wasn't personal. And so took psychology and I remember taking psychology at this it was this program in my high school it was a program in the high school I went to Grand Street campus in Williamsburg and that like placed high school students in college class like you took a college class like an advanced college class oh, is that called a, what is it's that called a college now program like it's, it was just like an advanced placement program but it was like on the weekends and I took the psychology AP. class Huh? They call it like an AP class? Or no, AP? AP is like in oh. high school. Like the college class, like we actually went to a college. Oh, cool. And took a class. Okay. Um, But yeah, it was interesting because it was like the, the uh, we were you know, studying Freud and all these things and all mm. these theories about what, what, ha- what happened. And I think that what, gra- what I gravitated about towards psychology, because I was under, I was under a frame of mind that if I understood what happened, I could change it. Um, and so the theories really fascinated me because it was like trying to like look at this moment and going if I change this then maybe this wouldn't happen and I remember giving in a paper I did and the teacher was like oh you should be a writer and I was like well I wrote the paper so I don't see what that has to do with anything and I didn't know what they were talking about um, and then I got to college and I would give papers in and it was the same thing it's like you should be a writer and I'm like I am a writer obviously yeah, like, I wrote, I wrote, the, this I wrote paper. the paper like so it's like and I was like eh like I had never known what that looked like and I had written this paper about beauty and psychology Whoa. Um, and I remember I got a C on the paper because I didn't write it like an APA format but I remember like a, a student uh, in the class was like I can, can I get that paper after like when can I get a copy of it and I was just like I've never heard of like a student asking another student for their paper to read mm-hmm. on their own time. And I was just like, sure. And I got a C plus. And so for me, it was like, it was this re- interesting split where it's like, okay, this writing that got me a C plus and psychology also created a sort of need in this person to want to read this. So it was like, maybe this writing thing, there's something to it. And so like, that's when I like really started going like, let me delve into it. But once again, like I wasn't, I was writing from like when I first started writing, it was writing to conceal things. So it was like sort of quoting a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Like coming in with my experience under the pretense that this had already, someone already validated what I was about to say. So it was safe. Okay. In a sense. It was like, well, you don't, you know, if you don't need to believe, you don't need to believe me. James Bolton said, said it. Said this, yeah. So it's like, oh, this is true. And then like, I think I became a real writer when I came less concerned with if you think I'm telling the truth or lying yeah I, I wasn't concerned with like how people read what I was writing I, it was really, what concerned me was if you understood it and was that just time or was it uh, trying new things and getting a better reaction from ones that was more from another's nah, voice or it was, just it maturity was, it, was, it was really it was being very sincere about what I wanted from writing 
like clear objective yeah very clear like and the the objective was very murky simply because once again like i think that you're born into a world with all these terms and so you're i'm working through the terms like yeah. okay i thought writing meant wanting to be the next Baldwin, which is like having a whole bunch of white people like buy my book and it was like that's not that's disingenuous like there was just all these disingenuous things i had about writing like i wanted to be rich from it i wanted to do this with it i wanted to do that and like you know the reason why like the best essays i've written got to be the best essays because i wasn't caring about what like what would happen after i wrote it i was just concerned with trying to figure out what happened in in the that moment time, yeah um so yeah like that's when i realized i wanted to be a writer because it was like when i was writing i didn't care about those other things like I, I just don't sincerely care about it but at the same time i think this is where like the uh the 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 what do you, what you call like those terms larger terms because to be able to have that type of time to convince yourself to you know caring about yourself that's what self-care is in that way you do have to have some sort of resources or access or capital that allows you to not care about when your bills getting paid or what's happening with this, what happens, what happens with that. So it's also a thing where like, because I value that time that I could be, that I want to be able to take to like really commit myself to that hard act of excavating a lot of things that are buried down deep. I have to be able to have the resources to take that time to do so. How did you have the resources? I mean, well, immediately the thing was, my overhead was low as hell when in college. I lived with my friend. I wasn't paying rent. I wasn't paying for health insurance. I wasn't paying for anything. Like, the price was way lower. The stakes were lower. Mm-hmm. So I could... And I was a college student. So, like, as a broke college student, you're allowed to be broke. It's okay yeah. for you to be broke. No one's sort of looking at you like, the like you need to go get a job. It was like, you're going... This is... You're on your way. Graduating, it changes the stakes are higher now like you're expected to contribute and contributions to the world especially in the capitalist enterprise you to get a job to make money and unless your money is being tied up to this pursuit which is not immediately you have to do things that are, that is not that job and so with that like i you know i, I taught i mean not i taught but i ended up being like the data manager at a disaster case management company um program for people affected by hurricane sandy for two and a half years and it was a good experience because like i learned to drop pretty quickly i learned it quickly enough that i could spend like if i got there at 10 by 12 noon my job had more or less been done right so for the next six hours i could read and i could write and i could think so that was like one of those rare situations where you're allowed that time Mm -hmm. Like, where you can kind of, like, your job is that easy. You can just come in and fi- finish it in the first two hours of the day yeah. and then focus. And so, like, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of the essays that I had written and going to grad school MFA program where you're given a, a what is it, like a little, like a stipend or like a student loan refund check of $10,000 and you budget that. And so you can, like, like I said, you can just not, your bills are paid. Yeah. Everything is taken care of and you have that ability to be completely selfish well you also like what i miss about it is in some ways you've got nothing to lose you've got no client or yeah. um, you know you're not dealing with anyone's money necessarily right so i, I miss that bit of studying design of just literally designing or right. creating whatever i want right and turning the brief into whatever i want because the professor's just going to like something different most right. of the time right where now you're dealing with 
well, I am dealing with someone's, you know, a company's business objectives and da 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 da, da right. which limits sometimes can limit. Right. Yeah. But I do think though that that sort of external there's a healthiness about it because it's also that thing where like and I'll speak for myself as a writer and as an artist that selfishness can get like I don't know like it it, it can get violent in the sense mm. that like you now feel like it only belongs to you and so you could take out long, however long you want to take right. with it and you could do whatever you want with it and the world will have to wait in the name of artistic yeah, sake in yeah. some ways. Yeah. And so like there is like those deadlines that like someone emailing you like the like, you know, someone knocking on your landlady knocking on your door for rent. That kinda wakes you up. Like this has to get done. Like take yeah. the time but don't like sit on it, right? Like you 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 you, you actively work towards a res- like a goal but you don't use that time as an excuse to procrastinate and to kinda like lull sit in the purgatory of it it's like you know you have to actually work towards something yeah so that in those ways like what i've what's happened over the course of time in my relationship with writing is that like it that has been a relationship of like this is real this is this is this has a real this has a real effect on the world and so like in a lot of ways i've been able to like get rid of or eradicate those external forces that get me to a place where i'm sort of like this one person and then but that re reorganize this world around like what i want to prioritize my time with and towards and so like once again it's like that objective is like when i'm going in to write i'm not just writing i'm like no i'm trying to figure out something particular because i only have a finite amount of time to dedicate towards myself right to be able to do this thing and that's you know i always think about uh the this scene in the Michael Fassbender version of the Steve Apple Steve Jobs movie. Uh, uh yeah. And there's a scene where like, I don't know if you've seen that movie. Or I have seen that movie, but there's like a few times. the way the movie plays out. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, like for the way people who may be listening, it's like every they they did they did the movie pretty brilliantly where like they centered it around all these different like product release drops. The launch. But behind yeah. the scenes, they're showing like how his like life is always falling apart like right before, which is not right before. Like these are the things he's neglecting, at the expense of being this guy that like the world knows is this forward thinking man. Like he's so retro, aggressive in his personal and familial relationships. And it was that scene where like Steve Wozniak was played by Steve Seth, Seth Rogen says like you can be a genius and a nice person they're not like he said they're not binary mm-hmm. and that really stuck to me because there's there's definitely like this older generational belief that like everything for the art like the single-mindedness i'm going to be really good at art but i'm gonna be a terrible father or a terrible mother i'm gonna yeah. be a terrible husband or a terrible lover or a terrible friend and i'm that's just not a, a life i'm interested in living like the one where like i'm only good on paper Right. Right. Like where like somebody only really loves you when they're in, interacting with what you created for them, but not like if I go and talk to your kids or to your family and they're like that, he's no, like everything that's on paper is probably something he wants to do, but I've never seen it. Mm. And so it's like I wanted my writing to be something that when you took the close the book, this was still who I was. Right. So that was that's to me what's changed about my writing. And so writing because the stakes have gotten higher, I'm a lot more considerate and 
thoughtful about what I put on paper. It's because because of the fact that I know it has a tangible effect on the world, like well, on, right. on on the and, and, and on the people I'm writing about, because those people I'm describing are real; they're not characters. Hmm. Well, and which is what you feel when you're reading it. Yeah. And I so there was this. I'm gonna pull it up. So you, I was reading the article about you in the New York Times about like your Sunday. Yeah. Um, and it said I think it was that article, and it was talking about um, you were just saying like your favorite drink. Right. And you, you called it, um, where is it? You said, um, it's elegance intersecting with accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like your gin and juice. I don't even remember what, yeah. it, what it was. Oh, but, the Marduse. Yeah, um, but I, what it, that reminded me more was like, I, that's how I think I see your writing is elegance with accessibility. Okay. Um, mainly because I think I, uh, sometimes with, people writers that people have really loved I read the first paragraph and I don't even know what they're it's such big words that I have to get out the dictionary and keep reading it and the it's lost sort of meaning to me but I think what I what I gain from reading yours is um is your uh desire to understand people and and their actions or and your and your sort of what you're learning from it as well um and so what we you were my professor in a, a personal essay class and yeah. you ended up being the group of eight women <laughs> I actually got another group really oh, all women ten, not ten ten women now oh but you're a pro now no i like i'm not as like oh yeah. it's all women like yeah. yeah but when i so i i think what i've noticed a lot with your writing is though um like the one uh that you talk about with your sister and your sister's relationship with her right. husband um, and just your, your sort of trying to understand her behavior and what's actually going on. Right. And then the same um, with uh, there was a moment where you're talking about your brother and his wife. Right. And how she says, you know, you think you know me, but you only know what I what I tell you. Right. Right. Um, but then also in this class, uh, you you would come in and sort of um, talk about you got sent a dick pic. Yeah. And you were like, is what? You know, it was like your first, the first time. And you sort of opened it up to the class, to the women of like, yeah. does this happen? And like, what, what is No, your, I knew, I, yeah. No, you yeah. knew that, sorry, you yeah. knew that it happened, yeah, yeah, but yeah, you are yeah. like, in some ways you, what it felt like you kind of put yourself in a woman's shoes of like, yeah. what this sort of feels like and right. why would, why yeah, would someone Yeah, think, it's just like, yeah, it's like being on the yeah. receiving end of it. Yeah. It's just like, it changes, it, it does definitely give you a, like a different, it gave me a different like, okay, where is this coming from? Like, because it's, you know, if like you hear people, people losing their homes, it's like a very, it's still an abstract loss. It's yeah. like, oh, I know people lose their homes, but then you lose yours, you're like, oh shit, like, <laughs> Like I said, the stakes are raised, right? Like, which is to say that there are stakes now. Yeah. Like, loss is something that you understand. It's not, uh, like I said, it's not an abstract idea. Like, and. So, when, and then we're writing these essays, these personal essays, right? Women. And it is like, it's personal Mm -hmm. stuff and intimate. And like, I kept thinking about you and you're, you're getting a. And this is like, I guess, like reading anyone's writing. You're getting an internal look mm. into the way they think and and what they care about and right. what's going on in their lives. Like, what, did you have you seen like has has there been some like big takeaways that you're um, 
that has affected maybe like your relationships with women going forward or the way that maybe you understand women's behavior? I know this is super broad, but no, um, cause this is actually a good thing. I've, I was, and I was talking to actually to my girlfriend, I've like realized, and this, it was towards the end of our workshop together where I had drew, drew, drew oh, and I wish we, um, can I, can we set this up a little bit? Yeah. Let's set it up. Yeah. Let's so we did an eight week course personal essays and a lot of the times it came up of in some ways like what's the difference of a plot and a narrative, narrative what and why do you need it and especially because what was like funky is we're doing like personal essays not necessarily like story short stories you right, know, right, as right, well right, right. so that that automatically gets sort of like yeah. what's the difference um and then but on the final and like you'd spoke about this a lot over the yeah and it like it would sort of click and sort of would right, and right. then finally on our last day it like it was like lightning bolts went off and we finally understood right. like what the difference is but like so yeah now you can. so basically like I, I for people like who, who are listening like the whole plot was like the who what where and when so all external narrative is how and why and those together make a story and the thing i did learn and the thing i am learning is that women writers which is really like i think just women i've generally seen that women go for narrative first that women tell you that what's important to a woman is that you know how they feel and what they think before you know what it is what what they feel about and so, what they think about so this is sorry i don't mean to cut you off just to help but like in some ways the way that i've looked at it is the plot is the actual in some ways moments the physical the, the physical, the physical world that like so who what like i said the who what where when yeah. where so um times that like if say we're talking about uh you're talking about your first kiss yeah um maybe it started with yeah you so like you said my, my, my first kiss. kiss was in like kindergarten in the cubby room i'm telling you like from a narrative standpoint i'm like i really loved um the way so and so so and so's lips felt in the back of like I really love the way so and so's lips felt. I just felt like we were gonna get married after that after that point. Like when we would have kids and we would we would and these kids would go on to college and you're like, wait, 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 wait. Who's 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 so and so? Where did this happen? When did this happen? Like, just what happened? And like I've seen more times than not, like in having like groups of women to read eight essays and they all start narratively like you read four pages into an eight page essay and you not i'm not necessarily sure of what's happening yeah i but know you know how they feel i know how they feel i know what they think um but, and i know why they think it but i, I don't even know basically but, but what set this thought and feeling what, trajectory uh, yeah like what is um what is grounding this yeah like uh, yeah like what so yeah like what like so what happened yeah. Um, which I realize that a lot of times, and I've seen that in in contrary, like men are typically, I've seen personally, so this is not a tr like a fact, this is like a personal truth. Yeah. yeah, as a teacher from teaching at City College to teaching at workshops that sometimes why men's stories tend to be boring is because they take too long to get. So I went to this place and then I put this on. And then I have to put this on, and this person said that, so I said this, and you're like, yo, like, well, all right, so what happened, though? So in both cases, the same question is being asked, is what happened, and I'm seeing a lot of times because one is missing the other. Right. Like, if you're coming from a narrative standpoint, you're missing, like, the who, what, where, when, the plot. When you come from a plot standpoint, you're missing the meaning and the deeper 
and thought. Yeah, and as and as typically as as a man, um, in that very like gendered sense is that men are not supposed to care about their feelings, right? It's like why you read Hemingway and it's just like these bare sentences and it's just like I'm just gonna give you the facts, right? And then sometimes the quote unquote navel gazing is like, all oh, these large feelings about love and all these things, but it's like, but who hurt you? Like yeah. you won't talk about the actual relationship. So I say that to say like what I've like what I've just completely learned is that like it's listening to someone tells you what's what they're not saying. And that's really what I learned with women is like, because I was raised by women, I and because being raised by women and being raised by and around and growing up around strong women, I had romanticized women as being complete people. It was men who had to fix, we had to fix ourselves. So my my like vantage point about women was a lot more romantic in the sense that like oh women know what they want, they they can articulate they're like. Can I ask what you mean by a strong woman? Strong so like, strong in a sense that. These were women who like they didn't depend on men, right? Um, for a lot of things like I like one I have a memory of like walking down the block like going up Lewis Avenue in the summer, um and this dude you know they call it cat caller now he was like oh shorty was going on she didn't want to talk to him he said like fuck you bitch or whatever and she goes and usually when i grew up when you did that a girl would come back with a brother or an uncle or a man she comes back with her sister and so he's laughing everyone's like sort of like laughing at the moment because it's like this is who you bring back and they fucked him up like mm. The girl brought back a little mini hammer, like a little a actual hammer, and they were like beating him up in the middle of the street, and they were like giving him the business. And it's like if that's not a frame of reference for you, I don't know. Like if strong sounds like it might sound like a sort of like a contentious word and saying like I thought women were generally weak. It's like when that's my frame of reference. When like you have this larger narrative, and this is why like I'm, I write to just get, I write as if larger narratives don't exist because like they're not real for so many reasons and we've heard those yeah it's like when you hear that boys aren't supposed to cry is one thing when your sisters and your aunts and your the women in your family and the women on your block are laughing at you because you're crying because and then you've never seen them cry that changes a lot of it like that just puts you in a different because this is not once again that's not an abstract truth now it's like wait boys don't cry i've never even seen women cry yeah. like that so it's like no no one cries let alone like the women so like for me like women have been such a foundational part of my understanding of masculinity that i've always seen women as the stronger of the two which is very different more capable of the two more and when you say that it was the man that had to change and not necessarily the woman does that mean that in some ways they were i don't know i'm choosing this word like perfect the way that they were right like yeah like they were more or less yeah so like the way so it basically is an inversion of the narrative that i've known women to be told women that i've dated told me that we're like a woman is told if you do something if if you if your husband or your boyfriend decides to cheat on you it's your fault you you did something wrong yeah right i did not necessarily have that understanding of the world like if a dude cheated on you fuck him like that's that's what the understanding was there wasn't this groveling at the foot of oh my god, my man is leaving me. It's like, let him leave. And you, your dad did cheat on your mom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, um, and 
even my mother decided to deal with those things. Like even I understood that her situ- her reason for doing that was from a place of agency, not a place of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, she, and once again, like I don't really like this is the hard thing about people telling you what they tell you. You don't know what the actual, actual truth is. Yeah, you can. Only you can say only. What, I can only yeah. say what I felt was true, mm-hmm. and I felt like when I looked at the way she navigated that relationship, even when she was going through it and feeling helpless like she always to me seemed like she understood like it wasn't like I don't know what I'm doing or she's so head over heels about this man like I I literally had never seen that like I didn't if I seen it I did not know I did not recognize a thing of like a woman being like at the mercy of a man Mm -hmm. so it was a very foreign it's a very foreign concept to me like personally yeah so when even i see it in movies i would just laugh at the girls because it was just like what like girls do that like what like that wasn't the way like i'm just that's yeah, just yeah. not that's just not the love language i'm used to it's not that's it's not anything that i see and i recognize as being true to what i've lived and what i've seen so in those ways um the question of like oh like a lot of my like a lot of my maturation is seeing women as people and what that means is like seeing women as capable of failing because the women in my life didn't fail right to me like they never failed and if they failed it was because some man did something it was like it was always it was a man that did something so like like if my sister for example she has like kids like the the essay I I tell the story about like if her husband like I tell that story and it's sympathetic not like to her it's not like oh she was a bad wife or she was it was like no like this dude tried to control her in in a language or whatever so like that's that's always that's been a lot of my read of it the maturation of seeing like in what ways are women flawed like people because they are people that took a while for me to kick in did that i mean my my assumption would be that when you started to have relationships with women you started to realize that Mm-mm. no because i wasn't dealing with right them because i wasn't dealing with myself for me to really come to the conclusion that like women are people would mean that like i would have seen myself in a healthier light than for example like it's right. my job to like impress women like the same way it's not healthy for women to think in a relationship it's their job to be liked by a man that they don't even they're not even sure how they feel about if you're not dealing with the person in front of you it's not healthy right. immediately like if you're if you're using this person to disprove the past or disprove a statistic or to make it's like once you're dealing with a person besides and you're not dealing with them and you're dealing with them as some sort of project or experiment it's not going to be a healthy relationship and so my relations weren't healthy because they were always these sort of like ways of fixing or compensating for something else so what changed me like really like because i know i attribute and i told this to you essie in that class about reading hilton all the women and reading that book about this gay black man who doesn't realize that the day his mother dies he doesn't know who his mother is as a person like I could have read that book and that sh- couldn't have changed. Like, like, right. Th- that, you that, have to be ready. To you have hear. like, I have to actually say, I'm going to do this thing. Right. I, you could show me, for example, like a bunch of things and I'd be like, oh, that's messed up. But I didn't need like it was like seeing that and going like I had already been one of the reasons why I sought that book out because I had already been looking for something that I was that was missing. I just didn't have what it was. 
So when I read, read this book about this dude whose mother, he doesn't know who his mother is today. She dies like, and know who she is, not as his mother, but as a woman. But part of the reason why he didn't know her yeah, is because his, his whole life, she had not known him and he had never just told her that he was a gay man because his mother being from West of the West Indies, his mothers and his sisters had always seen him as another sister, which was denying his truth because I'm a, I'm a boy and I like men and I'm a man so that makes me gay. And because I didn't want to disappoint any of you, it was just best that we just act like we didn't know each other, yeah. right? So I'm going to be your sister, you're going to be my sisters, you're, I'm going to be another girl, but I'm not a girl. And so like... Although, like, what's interesting about most books is that although, like, a lot of the revelations come in the beginning, what often sets the revelation in off, what sets the beginning off is what comes in the end. And what comes in the end is he sort of realized that, like, I never told my mother I was gay. Hmm. She died without her knowing who I was. So, of course, I didn't know who she was. Right. Because I never opened up. Um, and that was tragic. Like, that's really where the lesson came. It's like, oh, I'm not being honest with myself. So, of course, it's easy to lie to any girl. Like, it's easy to lie to somebody yeah. else when you're already lying to yourself. Like, it's like everyone else is just cat. Like, they're like a casualty of circumstance now. Like, if I don't, if I already believe my lie, like, what am I going to tell you? Yeah. I'm going to tell you the truth? I'm not telling you the truth. I don't tell myself. I don't even, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even acknowledge yeah. the truth. Yeah. So, it's like once that was like, oh, I got to do this for me. Like, I got to, like, I genuinely, when I read that book, I genuinely was interested in my sister's story. It wasn't like, I feel now, like, I have to know. It was like, no, I want to know yeah. now. Like, I was just genuinely, in, I was genuinely curious. And what I also see, and I'll take the heat for this, I'll get dragged on Twitter, but I also see that because the, like, because they're, it, this world makes it hard for women to articulate what they want. And because this world, in a lot of ways, communicates to women in subtle and overt ways that women can't ever get what they want. I have come to an understanding that women typically don't know what they want, like, or that desire is something they don't feel like they should have. Yeah. So it's like, or deserve, yeah. So it's like I've I'm in a relationship, and a woman will ex exert like this thing that, like, so a lot of my arguments with my girlfriend now are really about like. She's like, I'll like exhibit a behavior she doesn't like. And she's like, I need you not to do that. And I'm like, all right, so how would you want me to be? And I'm not asking to placate the, I want to understand, okay, because what I'm doing, I'm working away from a behavior. So if the thing I'm working away from is a thing that's still not good, I need to know where you need me to be. And her way of addressing that is, I just need you not to do the thing you're doing. Yeah. And it's like, that's not helping me. This, I mean, this sort of ties back to reading between the lines right. with your mum, right, right, as well, of like, you're saying me to do something, but right. in the end, that's not... Right. Like, what you're asking me piece. to do, and what you're asking me to do is actually not some... It's not what you're... The fear of not getting what you want, but I think it's because if you've never been allowed to think about what you want, if yeah. you've never been allowed to prioritize your wants and your needs over other people... And not even over other people, because I think that's one of the reasons why women are generally fearful or anxious around thinking about what they want, because they think that someone has to miss out because they want something. It just keeps women from actually thinking about what they want. So it's and it's it's like one of those. It's like a joke, and it's like jokes are tr like they have their truths to them. Like 
those jokes that like when you ask a woman what she wants to eat and she's like I don't know and yeah. it's like it's 45 minutes we still don't know <laughs> it's just that fear of like coming into the rec- like the recognition of like you've never been given this sort of ability to like actually pick something and that really is like where like the relationship between me and her is is like me trying to convey in a lot of ways that like yo listen like at this point I'm not like I am not the person standing in front of your ability to get what you want like you don't even you haven't even expressed what it is you you want want. clearly not for me like this is your responsibility to yourself like whether or not you get it that's a whole other thing you're not responsible you can't even be responsible for whether you're going to get it or not if you can't even articulate honestly what it is the thing you want yeah and that's the thing i also see in like a lot of women's writing that are still working through that is like this fear of admitting that you know they y'all like women are ambitious that there are things you want independent of men of family of the narrative of like no you're so only supposed to want this in relationship to someone else right but if you say i want to be an executive and the first thing they go well, what about your fa- well are you going to get married and it's like why is that the thing why is that a response to like something i want but didn't you even find that sort of in the class of when you sort of said what is this story actually about right what is what in one of my fears was like things being heard as not something i was asking yeah like me not telling you you don't know what you want but me sincerely asking what is it that you you want want. so there was a lot of times in the class where like you know where i would bring something up and i would see the room kind of like begin to start like picking up the (laughs) the pitch like what is is he is he about about to do what we think he's going to do and i'm like i know what you're what you think you're hearing I'm not saying that. Yeah. And I know a lot of y'all are reacting to situations that's not in this classroom. I'm not saying that either. I'm actually asking you to think actively towards something that you've never been actively able to do. So it's the difference between, I'm not asking you to think away, like get away from something. I'm actually, what are you moving towards? Towards, yeah. And that was like, it, and that uncomfortability, few people can deal with. I think that that's why like relationships tend to not like people don't stay together and i don't mean it like oh like marriages and stuff like that because even like some people stay together by a necessity like they didn't know how to be apart i'm talking about like relationships where it's like your relationship with yourself is the reason why like i mean for a long time i i get it like there was this show it's called the carmichael show that was like got canceled um but it didn't get renewed or whatever but there's a, there's a scene where like gerard carmichael's parents old black southern couple and they were like how do y'all stay together like we just you don't leave right and they were like what do you mean and it's like you just don't leave like like you like you work you do everything but leave like that's not an option for you and i realized that like the ability to kind of discard women who i cared about in all these ways it was just it's an externalization of how i feel about myself like i feel i am also able to do i'm also able i'm also easily discarded which is why i do it first because it's like the moment that Uh. you identify me as like not valuable that's what you're going to do to me so i'm gonna do it to you first yeah so i can protect myself so i can retain the value that i feel like i have but then when i come i came to a real like a point where i'm like no people are not interchangeable or replaceable then it's like you I make a decision like, all right, I'm, I'm going to decide to be with you mm-hmm. because I want to work this out. I want to understand what this is. And the only time now I'm willing to leave is when I see that the person who I'm with 
isn't committed to that same journey, that's when a relationship can no longer move forward. Yeah. But the whole thing about, oh, well, like, we had an argument and coming back to the whole, like, I don't know what to do in this uncomfortable moment. Mm -hmm. We can't be together. Yeah. Like, not knowing what to, how to work through that because, like I said, I've never, that hasn't been a model for me. It was like you kind of came back to the thing and you act like it never happened or you talked around it but you never talked through it which is like why do you do this thing mm. and it always drums up on something very deep seated and and like very, very like just very like like I said the deep stuff that people like trauma often blocks out like the things you don't want to think about and it's those things that make you feel naked and so like but being in a relationship is just like that's when you're in a real relationship not like I don't know like whatever else yeah. those like situationships are, are yeah. like where you're just like kind of getting from a person what you want from them and the moment they don't provide that thing you want you kind of like up like you off it it's like real relationships are hard yeah like they're and and they're hard because they they are work and i think it's very interesting that we live in a country and a culture that of like like places as high premium on work ethics and things like that but i really feel like that work ethic is the work you do for other people like we really value the work that and the value bring other people's lives but when you're talking about like oh i'm just gonna do this for me it's like what what like if you say oh, i'm self-employed it's like you don't have a job yeah. and it's like okay like i've never worked harder than when i started working for myself yeah i agree because the relationship that i have like i have to hold myself accountable for things i have to like i got to select so much more when i work for other people because mm -hmm. like once i figured out what the job was it was like oh i could well and it's also all on you when you work for yourself right. you got to get the new next job you right. got to stick to the deadline no right. one's telling you, you it's right. all on you and it's the same thing with a relation to me yeah. like with a relation with another person is that you have to decide you're going to be in a relationship like no one really can make you leave a relationship besides you and i'm not that's not i'm not, i'm completely aware of like well, so you're saying people who got like domestic violence i'm not talking about oh, those no, I that, no, yeah. no but i also oh, yeah. know people hear things and they go what like i'm saying that if you decide that you want to be in a relationship, even in those situations, there is still the decision is like the person decides they want to leave, which is why it's often difficult to, at the same time to talk to people who are in emotionally or physically abusive relationships because everyone wants them to leave, but they didn't decide personally that it's time for them to leave. Yeah, but that's the same even like with someone that is struggling with alcoholism. Right. They, when they have to acknowledge right. what's going on right. to then want to and help the, And the other thing too, on the subject of that is like the hard thing about love is that and you think about this like in the alcoholism drug abuse dynamic is that like even when you do interventions usually what happens the narrative is is like okay all your closest friends come around you and they express to you how you doing this has hurt them and so now they're supposed to change based on what they're doing to you which right. is still like kind of selfish as opposed to like, how do we articulate that what you're doing is hurting you mm -hmm. and it's not good for you? That language is a bit difficult, right? It is. So like, that's what's been different in like a it's lot a of- It's a big training of choice of words. Right. Like my mom would teach, you know, can, are you able to tell your friend that what they did, even if they intentionally didn't mean to, that you felt hurt by it? Right. I was like, mom, I'm not sitting there saying that to my friend. She's like, and we would practice it like it was like right. intense I hated it absolutely <laughs> fucking hated it are you good at it now? I'm, I am but I think I take it too far sometimes what do you mean? Uh, like I if I can tell um, 
I want to sort every uncomfortable situation out, like, like in depth, oh. like straight away. Oh, wow. And it might not have even been a bad situation, but I'm like Colin (laughs) and I'm ready to talk about it because I need to let this out. I can't let this affect our, our relationship. So I feel like sometimes I've overdone it, but when I'm in a sane moment, it's, you know, it's lovely because you bring the ownership onto your, onto yourself. Right. And so it, it lets them have, it's not blame. Right. It's that I'm not sure if you meant to do this, but this is how, how it felt, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's I'm grateful for it but sometimes no it's, and it's never gonna get easier like it's like no. everything else like you pay your phone bill for March you still got paid in April and they, they that as long as you have a phone you have to pay that bill so as long as you're in a relationship as long as I'm in a relationship I realize that oh this is we're gonna continue to hit come here and it's and it's not because we're not learning but because in most cases like we're not arguing about the same things in the same ways but it's like it this is this is a confrontation that has to happen and then like what the other part of the relationship is is that this is who you want to do it with and that's what i also yeah. that's the commitment like all right i want to do i decided i want to do this with you like I'm, i don't feel like i have to uh, like i like there's no obligatory like that's the other thing i realized about like love too like like real love is a choice it's not an obligation and when you once you feel like it's an obligation i feel like that's when the love is sort of faltered mm. like but because it's like that's what's beautiful about family right it's like you can love them and go I'm not picking the phone now yeah <laughs> like it's like nah, I'm not, not coming in for yeah Christmas. I'm not yeah. like because the love and the, it does nothing about the love no it's just like I just I just I know this situation enough to know that this has nothing to do with love yeah and I think that that's the difference when you like the anxiety around being in love with people is that now that you get to choose it now you get to choose the type of love you get as opposed to the fact that, no the love is there but I'm still going to be who I am and in those dynamics it's like oh no I choose to love you I don't like at some every, any given point I am immediately aware that I could decide I don't want to be in this relationship no more mm-hmm. but that has nothing to do with why I'm here I don't like choose I don't choose this relationship because I'm not choosing it I'm choosing it because I want to be here yeah. and that's like the thing that like I said like and there's a lot of ways in which I, I would definitely say like on the behalf of even being a man and growing up um, around women, like I would say, and women cannot believe this or whatever, but like, I think men are in a different way hindered from what they really want as well. Cause I feel like they're like the, like, because the assumption is and the presentation of it is, is that men just get what they want. Mm-hmm. And, but a lot of times I know personally as a man that what I wanted is not, what I got was not always what I wanted. But the insinuation was, because I have it, of course you wanted, wanted it, it, because yeah. you have it. And right. it's like, no, I just have it, but I don't really want it. And so, like, kind of talking from behind that, like, silkscreen curtain, because people see the silhouette of the thing, and they're right. like, oh, but that's what it is. And it's like, that's not what it is. That's what it looks like. Um, and this world is really good about pr- making things look a certain way. Mm. And that's, once again, a right Back to, to kind of punch through yeah. that silhouette. Like, you want to see behind the curtain? So you can see that this is not what I, cause I, cause I'm on the same side of knowing, like I know what I've thought things look like. I know what like growing up, never meeting white people and going into white homes in a different capacity than servitude or whatever, and then seeing like people's real lives and being like, oh, money doesn't really ch- change yeah. anything, or like status doesn't really like make you a better person. It's just like, oh, like so everyone kind of is just like 
people. Like, everyone's the same. Like, which is different in the way, like, it's a, a revelatory thing when you learn that as opposed to when people say it as a way to, like, hide the fact you try to hide differences. Like, no, we're the same as, so I don't have to think about how mm-hmm. we're different. It's like, no, you see the difference so much of the fact that you say, like, oh, the differences don't really matter. But it doesn't negate the fact that, like, oh, we have things to work through. And because no one's different, everyone's everyone's the same in the sense that, like, at the core, everyone's trying to, like, work. At least now I don't think everyone's trying to work through things. I think that everyone's trying their best to, to like, get through what they're getting through. Deal with, yeah, yeah. what they handle. I don't, but I don't think that necessarily, like, everyone has decided i don't think everyone's made that decision to do it Mm -hmm. some people feel like they have to which is why like you have the we're doing it for the kids or like well i'm doing this for my mother i'm doing it but there's seldom like you hear like these narratives of like people who do things out of the love they have for themselves i think right yeah and what i'm noticing is we're trying like even with this whole self-care yeah we're we're trying (laughs) right We're, we're we're making steps towards right. it and then we'll go back 20 and then we'll come back again but it's not that easy the the self-love part no. of it but yeah it isn't and it i think that's such that, a weird concept <laughs> yeah anyway. i think I, I think that that that's one of the things that like for me writing and reading is my form of, of self-care. self-care yeah simply because it like it forces me say force it challenges me to be present Mm. like and pay it challenges me to just pay attention and like to just be all in one place and uh, it's it's an anxious it's an anxiety producing feeling because it's like that means you have to be in tune with all of yourself which is like as i grew up and these moments happen whether they're joyous or whatever you you, i begin to choose what feelings i want to feel and so when something happens I don't want to feel, it's like, no, I'm turning that off. Yeah. And so then if, like, I watch, like, I've noticed that, like, if I'm watching a movie and it hits a particular point where I feel like I'm about to cry, crack a joke, right? Because I don't like being in that, that moment of, like, that vulnerable moment where I might cry. So I'm like, I'll say some funny shit because it gets that, it just kind of, like, yeah. shrugs that. So I'm, even in that moment, I'm not fully present. I'm like, I found a way to get out of that Um and it's just those type of things and writing the reason why writing is hard now is because I have to stay in that moment um, more and more and you know when you're in that moment it like I, when I'm in that moment it, it feels like a betrayal to every you know it's the reason why people don't particularly like writers because it's like people's every, other people's secrets get exposed as a collateral because it's like I'm not trying to like expose you I'm really trying to expose myself but once again people's readings of things are so selfish they go oh like you're betraying, like, when I wrote that essay, one of the things I had heard was, like, you're, like, you, you, you portrayed a black man in a bad light, and it was, like, okay, like, that wasn't my at intent. all, like, it's not even that wasn't my intent, that's not what I'm doing, right? right, which is why I talk to y'all in class about knowing what your writing is about, because when people give up these charges, you're not sitting there, like, well, that wasn't my intention, it's, like, no, that's your, that's your internalized reading of it, because if you read that situation and you saw it as me bashing black men that must mean that you already believe something about that to be true right because that's not where i was coming from like that's actually that essay is probably the one of the most compassionate reads i've ever had of other black men in my life yeah Ooh. i don't know what they're talking no about. yeah i mean no but that's no i know what they're talking like that's the difference is like i know where they're coming where from like okay, i know yeah. where they're coming from but it's like that's not where i'm coming from 
And because I know where I came from with it, and I can literally point to mm-hmm. everything in the essay and go, this is where this is what informed this passage and that passage. What you're taking, like, and this is where I think art and capitalism have this have this own love hate relationship, is that there's that capitalist conversation of the artist is the customer is always right, and so as an artist, if I want to sell, it's my job to empower the art the audience to feel like whatever they're whatever they're seeing is valid. Right. My person, and then they, on the other side, you have this artist thing. Was like, no, it's, I don't care about what you see. It's all about what I put there. And no, and for me, it's there's a median where it's like, this is what I put there. This is what you saw. How do we have that conversation? conversation. Yeah. Because both perspectives are valuable. So it's like, if you want to have the conversation about it, we can right. talk. Yeah. I'm not about to sit here and let you tell me that something that's that I didn't write is there. Yeah. But I'm also not going to tell you that what you did, what you see, well, felt. Is, yeah, it wasn't real. They're both valid, and so it's like let's have the conversation, conversation yeah. and that's all. That's all I'm really about, and that also is a healthy relationship, yeah. right? It's like no matter what dynamic it is, it's like when you're meeting an opposing view, even when it's in yourself, do you have the conversation or do you deny it? Do you ignore the conversation? Do you act like the person's voice isn't valid enough to have the conversation? Like, well, I have an MFA, I know what I'm doing. You, you just bought the book, like you spent. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm not using any language that we have to, like, hide. I'm going to use this language to reveal as much as I can. And in those ways, like, it becomes a thing where, like, even as a public figure, like, as a public figure, you tend, I tend to betray a lot of the private confidences of people, not on purpose, but because, like, that's sort of the stakes that come with being a public figure. Like, Mm -hmm. part of your life is on public display, so, like... Where, you know, somebody else is walking down the block. And, like, even I'm talking about this relationship with, you know, my girlfriend. It's people who's like, oh, I didn't know he had a girlfriend. And it wasn't because I, like, hid it from them. It's like this, it didn't, like, our relationship or our conversation didn't demand that type of, you know, revelation being revealed. Like, this was a conversation that, like, that information naturally felt in line with what I'm talking about. So, it's one of those things where, like, and I, in all those ways, I have to, I pay for those things directly Mm -hmm. like i have to deal with like whoever calls me and like you didn't tell me like so people thinking they probably have they know more about you than they do and they realize in this very intimate moment that's like very public with everybody like oh i didn't know that i found out on a podcast something that you didn't tell me in private and it's like well i don't owe like i don't owe you the information like and that's another thing that like once again it's that fear of loss keeps us, keeps, uh, like, that fear of loss has kept me personally from, like, claiming things that actually belong to me. Yeah. So it was like, I'm afraid of how this person looks at me, so I'm going to give them something that I don't really want them to have because I want them, I want to have them. And it's like, but if my relationship with this person is measured by what I give them that I don't want to give them, then how genuine is that relationship? I, I agree, but also, like, to sort of, like, wrap this up a bit as well is that, that you what you said earlier about even going into psychology and stuff is that you wanted to help people yeah. and I think that that is what happens is you may have to disclose some information sometimes right. um, and reveal something yeah. uh, for in some ways which is going to do a lot greater right. good for people to read yeah. um, instead of then sort of just keeping everyone happy right. uh, by not like doing any yeah. of it um, so the last thing I want to say, and you could tie this clip, like, but I'm reading this biography of, on Robin Williams by Dave Iskoff, who's brilliant. Um, but there's a point in this book where um, 
he talks. Um, there's a scene where like he, you know, Robin Williams played on Mork and Mindy, the show in like yeah. this thing, the 70s or like early 80s. It was like a sitcom, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he plays this alien, and then there's a scene where like Mork, who he, who's the alien that Robin Williams plays, meets Robin Williams, a celebrity, and um, they're talking to each other, and like Mork is talking to Robin and. I'll just read the part where Dave Iskoff says, um, when he and Mindy, he being um, Mork, when Mork and Mindy finally meet Robin in his dressing room, um, he is soft-spoken Robin and mildly ashamed of the status afforded to him. Um, with a mixture of self-deprecation and surprising truthfulness, he explains that he got into comedy as a result of a lonely childhood. You see, my dad used to have this job where he had to move around a lot and sometimes he'd leave the forwarding address and that he created his... And that he created his outrageous voices and characters a way to keep himself entertained. Then it got to a point where I realized the characters could say and do things that I was afraid to do myself, he says. This Robin confesses to them that he has a hard time saying no to people, whether friends who ask him to spend time with them or strangers who ask him to participate in their benefit shows for fear of letting anyone down. You know, Mindy tells him, if you learn to say no, you'd probably have a lot more time to yourself. Maybe that's the last thing I want, he answers quietly. And that I think about that a lot is because really what fear of loss is is like you the fear of loss of other people comes from this really deep seated admission that you don't really care about the taking possession of yourself mm-hmm. right and so part of what celebrity does is it like it kind of trains you and kind of gets you prompted in this idea of belonging to everyone but not really having like this real sense of like, but, I, but I'm me. So like if I'm eating and you come and say, can I take a picture? And I'm like, I'm eating. Your need to take a picture does not trump me wanting to eat. Like you have to wait. But the celebrity, the wanting to be possessed by everybody because everyone's like your, your value of self is wrapped up in what people, how much people want you. Like it's a trap. So mm-hmm. Like I say, I have to say, like the ending to for me is like that's what writing allows me to do. It allows me to take hold of myself. It allows me to ground myself back to like what is mine, what really belongs to me, and what doesn't. And that's really what my writing is about. Is about like taking like that, that, that coming to America essay is like yeah. taking possession of yourself. Amazing! Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on. Appreciate you. This is amazing.